Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey, boys and girls, Aaron Fifield here. Welcome to Chat with Traders podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I have something cool to share, which mostly applies to folks in Sydney. Because I'm planning a Chat with Traders drinks slash get together for Sunday the 11th of February. At the time of recording this, I'm yet to lock down a location, but it will be somewhere around the city, the CBD area. So if you don't have plans for Sunday, the 11th of February, it would be nice to see you there. It'll be a great opportunity to meet other traders, etc. To find out more and to RSVP, simply visit chatwithtraders.com slash sydney. Now, moving along, my guest who you're about to hear from is someone who I featured last year on episode 119. It's Alex, or who you may also know as at Tagger Trades on Twitter. That's T-A-G-R Trades. When Alex was on for the first time back in April, he was beginning to make headway as a full-time day trader since abandoning a secure job a few years back. But since then, he's really stepped it up a notch. Alex finished 2017 with a compounded return of 1,400%, 1,400% with almost zero drawdown. Well, of course there was some drawdown, but it was very minimal, which, <laughs> I mean, it sounds absurd saying it out loud because it is, but he really did it. Over the course of this episode, you're going to hear Alex and I reviewing his performance of 2017, what he did well and the areas where he would like to further improve. Alex also talks about his strategy from scanning to entries to managing positions, plus psychology, self-discipline and more. And at the risk of sounding cheesy... Alex is a good dude, and I really think he's a great role model for upcoming traders, especially those who want to trade equities on a short time frame. Please enjoy, and please share this episode on Twitter and Facebook so it reaches more airs. I'll be very grateful if you can do that. Here is my conversation with Alex. Search your email address, but... Anyway, nice to be chatting, dude. How are yeah. you? Yeah, good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Is it just your weekend? It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice and early Saturday morning here. Well, good. Start off on the right foot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. How was your day? All right. It was all right. Yeah, I mean, nothing to write home about, but you know, can't can't complain ending the the week on a green note. Nice, nice. You survived. <laughs> That's the main thing, right? I, I, I did exactly. <laughs> So um, I know there's been a, a few uh, changes since we last spoke. I mean, you've got a, a little girl now, another member of the family. How's how's she doing? Uh, she's doing good, man. I'm 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 pretty lucky. My my wife uh, works from home, so she kind of gets to manage that whole aspect and and kind of leave me leave me to pure business. Uh, 
but sleep deprivation is no joke. <laughs> That's right. not as much sleep as I used to get. But other than that, I, I really can't complain. Okay. How old is she now? She's almost four months. Four months. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So still, still quite the, uh, still haven't gotten a full night of sleep in four months. Let's put it that way. So that's oh. been fun. It obviously uh, hasn't affected your trading too much. <laughs> no, I think it, I think it might have got me in the gear too, knowing that I got somebody else to support now. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, more responsibilities, right? Word. Actually, that's funny. I remember um, I interviewed Aaron Brown, uh, like uh, must have been a couple months ago, and he actually spoke about sleep sleep deprivation and said how it can actually have some uh, positive effects. Really? Yeah. I'll, um, I know for I'll link me, you to I, it. Like, if I don't if I don't get a good night of sleep, I'm pretty cranky, but uh definitely been going to sleep earlier to kind of make up for that. But <laughs> he said it like activates a part of your brain that is often sort of um dormant. <laughs> or What's my secret weapon then, man? I'm, I'm, of, <laughs> that's what it is. It, it almost like makes you more alert in some ways. I don't know. I'm probably getting this really wrong, but um I'll link you to the episode. It might be interesting. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> Um, so what does your wife do that she's working from home? Nothing, man. Um, she's just a stay-at-home mom now. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we're kind of doing the the single income thing, giving that a shot. But uh, I mean, childcare in the first place is like, I don't know, the translation of dollars were like twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year. For, so for her to go get a job, it basically just to be like paying childcare anyway. So I know that's so crazy, right? Like, yeah, I've never really looked into it too much because I obviously haven't had to, but. You know the odd thing you hear here and there about how expensive childcare is. It's like you're you're almost just going to work to pay for that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then it's a pain in the ass, and then it's just hard to manage everything else. So it's she's just at home, kind of, kind of. I guess I run the the actual financial side of the business, and she runs like consider like the back office. She just gets everything <laughs> done, so I don't have to deal with it. So it it works out for everyone. I I, I like it that way. Right. I like the way you put that. <laughs> That's funny. All right, man. Well, let's uh, let's get into things. I mean, obviously, the one of the first things I wanted to ask you about, and I guess just speak to you about as well, is um, you know what's been happening since we last spoke. So we we first did uh, the first podcast in April last year, two thousand seventeen, um, and you've just been going from strength to strength ever since. I mean, it's been really cool to see. December last year. I believe was your best month. It was, yeah. And I actually saw you say somewhere that it December alone was better than the first five months combined uh, of two thousand and eight, uh, two thousand seventeen. So um, let me just ask you, how come? What went so well for you in in December? So basically, the first six months of the year last year was me kind of grinding it out, building up the account, uh, getting it to where I had enough cash in the account that I could really, really put some, some force behind my trades. And uh, I kind of walked into the perfect storm towards the end of the year with a whole Bitcoin blockchain stuff exploding. Um, I didn't actually trade the, 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 the cryptos themselves, but all these companies were popping up saying that they were getting into uh, mining or the blockchain or something like that. And they were exploding. And I was just well capitalized and well prepared and, and had, had, I guess the training, uh, the mess ups before and I kind of came into it just, just better. <laughs> so can you maybe share a few of the, the plays which worked really well for you in December, like that were related to this whole uh, blockchain mania that was taking place? Yeah. So uh, kind of like I, I remember last time we talked the beginning of the year was the shipper mania that was going on. Um, and, and they all kind of ran together. There's always about four or five stocks in each sector that, that fuel off each other and people think they're going to go from $1 to $100. And uh, there's just so much speculation and I'd kind of call it like a risk on atmosphere where people are just chasing and, and going for everything and buying every dip. So it creates a, a positive atmosphere for somebody who's long biased. And there was a few, few companies um, that were pretty much just going up, up, up every day. And, if, and when they pulled back, they'd go. So uh, there was one in particular uh, the tickers MARA and there's ones DPW and RIOT and about four or five more. And, and any day that they opened up weak, you could almost 
kind of track them all together and see when once when one started getting bit up, the other two were were not far behind. So it it really gave you the opportunity to to kind of be aggressive and and use use each other, use them as almost like leading indicators or things like that. So you could uh, I would wake up one morning and three of them, let's say all three of them were down, you know, a few percent, but one of them was down more and the other two turned green. Well, um, the one that I always, always traded was the MARA and I was able to, to get in there with confidence. And as the other ones went, I was able to kind of hold those positions longer than I was normally. I've normally considered myself kind of a cash flow, kind of a scalper, but those would allow me to hold them longer because there was just so much uh, mania going on. I mean, they were making 50 to hundred percent moves daily. Um, and so I was just able to get in and hold longer and, um, put in more size and there was so much liquidity. Um, you could sell a lot of shares. There's pretty much always somebody there to, 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 to sell to whatever you bought. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I just remember like, obviously wasn't trading this sort of thing, but I just remember like coming into work in the morning and, and seeing the headlines on Bloomberg about how um, this, this company just added blockchain to the end of its name and now it's up like a hundred percent on the day or, or whatever. I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, completely ridiculous. Like there'd be biotech stocks that were clearly had drugs in the pipeline. All of a sudden they'd put out some kind of, some kind of PR saying, Oh, and now we're in the blockchain and it would just explode. And it was the kind of things that you were, you were able to, to risk a little more um, on that because there were so many other people that were just sitting, uh, you can just tell people had their fingers and their triggers waiting for the next, next trade. Um, so it gave you a higher probability to, to go for it. Um, they didn't always work. And a lot of times they didn't, but you know, it just, when your odds are there, you, that's when you kind of put more risk on. Yeah. And I really like how you've described this because it's like, you know, you've taken everything you've learned since you've come into trading and it's kind of built up. You've had that really sound knowledge base so that you've been well prepared for the next time that, you know, a catalyst like this comes into play that, you know, you can really hit it hard and make the most of it. Yeah, I've botched three or four of these exact same scenarios in different different sectors, different names, different everything. But the exact they all they all pretty much end up the same and they kind of work a, a little bit differently, but very similar. And I'd botched enough to learn what not to do, basically. So <laughs> I, I could still definitely have a lot of improvement. There's no doubt if I could get better at holding longer, holding overnight, things like that. But uh, baby steps, I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, how long have you been trading for now? Uh, June will be five years. So still, still, I would be probably considered a young gun out there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but how long have you been trading for full time now? It's not, that, that's, that's how long it's been. Yeah. Oh, so I, been. I've, been, okay. I've been dabbling since, uh, but by dabbling, I mean, putting on like three or four trades a year and just being interested in the markets for, I don't know, 10 years. Um, but nothing serious at all. Just had a, had a healthy fascination, I guess. Yeah. And like you said, you've botched a fair few of these uh, kind of themes that come into play in the past. What did you do differently this time around? I mean, obviously, like we just discussed, you were a lot uh, better prepared. But what are some of the mistakes you made in the past which you perhaps didn't make this time around? Preparation. So knowing knowing the names, um, I wouldn't say inside it out because I try not to get fall in love with any single one of them. But knowing what's going to launch the next one, knowing which ones are the leaders and which ones are the laggards in the sector. Because what I used to always do is I would always just go for the laggards um, in the sector and and try to play catch up. Um, but a lot of times those are the biggest dogs. And I, I really focus this on this time on trying to find the best few and 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 being one of the ones that was the front runners on them. And so trying to not not wait and, and catch the last few percent, I was trying to get the majority of the percent on them. Um, and then also knowing when, when the party stops, that, that was a big one that, that hurt me in the past where I would, I would do well, let's say it was a two week period and do really well for a week and a half or a week. And then I would just hold on too long or buy too many dips or, or give up too much of that phase. Well, this time I, I was, I didn't catch the, I guess the last couple of days of craziness. I just kind of thought it's a little too crazy, a little too hot. It's time to back off and just protect the profits now and go for much shorter, uh, shorter trades. So if anything, I guess that was probably the biggest thing is knowing when to back off because 
you always hear it's easy to make money in the market, but it's really hard to keep it. So, so knowing when to take the foot off the pedal, um, and then when to apply it back, because as soon as they run, they pull and they'll do a second run and just kind of getting the feel and the flow and, and, and riding the wave versus, um, I guess getting hit by the wave. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll get into this a lot more as, as we get going, but you know, in, in this particular instance, you know, the, as the blockchain mania we're talking about, how did you gauge when to get out of these stocks? Like, how did you know when the party was over? It, it kind of sounds funny and uh, I've seen it. Other people talk about it, but whenever, I guess whenever you get texts from your friends and family uh, that want to get involved and they have never traded before, then you know, okay, the whole boat is loaded one side. Everyone wants to be long these names. Um, and that's when it gets dangerous because at some point the buyers are going to run out and the sellers are going to take over. And it's, it's, it's a healthy part of the market that obviously there's shorts that are on the other side. Um, so it's knowing when, when there's, when there's too, too much optimism and it's, you know, I guess it's a mixture of technical analysis by looking at charts and just saying this, I mean, it can go further. There's no doubt it can go further and it can always go higher, but at some point the risk reward just isn't, isn't there anymore. And when, when you're looking for, the next, what's the next push going to be? It becomes less and less likely that it's going to continue. Um, and, and like I said, I, I, I did miss quite a bit of it, so I didn't time it perfectly by any means. But there's a point when, when you kind of have to stop. It's not so risk on anymore. It's a little bit more defensive. Yeah, but I think that's that's an interesting point that you raise because you say you didn't capture the whole move, but you obviously captured a decent chunk of it, and as a result, you had you know, the best month out of the whole trading year. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it comes down to looking at that month, even if you broke it down day by day in any week period, it was really like one day or, or two, even two days in the month that just, just really pushed over the edge. And the rest of it was just, was just being there hitting base hits and, and just, and just taking what's there, but not going for too much. And I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that just slammed it and did way better than me. And maybe I'll be there in another five years, but, um, where I was now was, I was very comfortable with what I was, what I was doing. Mm. Well, well played, man. Well played. Now you've shared your, uh, your, I guess you could call it your equity curve. Uh, I've seen you posting that on Twitter, and it's just incredible to incredible to me how consistent you've been. Like it's such a smooth equity curve. How have you been able to achieve such great consistency? Um, it looks really pretty, really stretched out, but if you, but if you look in there, there's, there's still quite a few days where there's just not much I can get going. Um, so there's, again, if you look at any, any month, there's some days I don't even place any trades, but in the long, when you look at the grand scheme of things, it, it's the days that you know when not to go for it. Um, that were my biggest mistakes in the past where, um, you know, let's say I just had a bunch of good days and I just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. Well, now I just kind of know that there's, being okay with periods of not doing anything, um, but still being there in case something comes up. I don't just have a couple good days and walk away. Um, I'm still here, but, but being okay with knowing that, that I don't come looking for something, um, uh, to the market. And I think that was really, really big for me last year. Um, being okay with just kind of letting a half a day go where there's no trades or a couple days and not forcing things and just really waiting for, you know, and I know I talked about on the last time we talked kind of the ABC setups, there's days that you can go for C's setups and when risk is on and when risk is not on, you really just got to be patient and go for the A's and maybe just take a couple, couple bucks here and there. But when that compounds, that was the big thing that makes that chart look really awesome is compounding that the size just gets a little bit bigger. So your small days just get a little bit bigger and just protecting the downside and, um, risk management is, is always my, is my, probably the thing that, I guess is my Achilles heel from keeping me to get like the outrageous huge percent win days or dollar days, I guess. Um, and just staying consistent, staying focused and trying to stay disciplined. How often would you say that there are days which you don't place any trades? Like are they pretty few and far between or maybe more often than most would think? I would say more often than most would think this year I've, um, I've only had one day where I placed zero trades. Um, but I've had a couple of days where I've done one or two. Um, and they've been not much and I've just had to be okay with it and just accepting it and just moving on and, and not letting it fluster me or not thinking I have to come back the next day and go for more, uh, try to catch up, play catch up. I just, I let the, the longer term numbers speak. Um, so I would say in any given month, there's probably two or three days where I literally sit at the screen from open to close 
and don't click any any buttons at all. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I think that that definitely is hard for a lot of people. That must be something which, you know, you, you've learned how to do. Like, I, I don't think that comes naturally, right? Oh, not at all. No, that, and that was the thing. I mean, um, just it, it's, it's, the one, it's the day that I, I wouldn't wait. The day that I put zero trades on is the day that would have been a, a week killer or, you know, would have taken two weeks worth of, worth of work away. Just taking the step back and it happened. And that's why I do it now because I've done it. <laughs> I've stepped on the landmines and now I just, I'll just, I'll just rather just wait it out um, and be not aggressive. And, and I do let things pass. And I, there are things that I could hit on those days, but you just gotta, it's just got to be selective. Yeah, there's that saying, um, how does it go? It's like, you're better to be out of a trade wishing you were in a trade than to be in a trade wishing you were out of a trade. <laughs> 100%. And there were times that that uh, whenever I was posting my PNL every day and there'd be days, and, the, and that's kind of around our last conversation that I wouldn't have much. People say, well, how come you didn't hit this? How come you didn't have that? Do you not see that? And I'm, I'm, I can't hit it all, man. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm not perfect. I miss a lot, but... Uh, it's, it's just that selectivity, I guess, that, that is my, probably, I guess, one of my edges. Yeah. Now, looking at your equity curve, very smooth, like I mentioned, you wouldn't be able to tell that you'd had any kind of significant slip-ups or anything like that, but has there been any slip-ups or uh, substantial mistakes which you've made since we last spoke, you know, eight months ago? Yeah, there it seems to be the same thing that happens to me every so often. And luckily, it's been spreading out. It doesn't happen as often, but this year it's happened. I've, I have had one red day so far this year, um, and and it all stems from um, when I kind of get in this flow trading state, and I'm I'm just kind of working, and I'm having maybe some trades on, and I make an error, and and the stocks that I trade, they're under ten dollars, they're considerably low float. Um, there's a, there's liquidity issues involved sometimes. And, and what happens is let's say I put in a wrong order. Um, for example, I think I'm, what happened this year was I was pretty full size into a trade. I got the breakout I was looking for. I thought I was scaling out of the trade, but I was actually adding size into the trade. And by the time I realized it, the, the trade was over, it broken down. And I get in this almost this fight or flight or fight reflex where I try to battle it, or I try to wiggle my way out, or I try to outsmart the market or something like that. But there's no one there to buy the shares that I accidentally bought. And and I take a, a much bigger hit than if I were to just say, dude, you made the error, put your market order and just sell out and take the take the loss and I and I let it snowball. And that's happened probably about four or five times. And that would be my my current fatal flaw that I'm I'm working on. Um, it's easy. I have it written down. It says, Alex, if you get into a trade you don't mean to, just mark it half out. But when you're in the heat of the moment, um, sometimes your brain just kind of doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the traits which you can attribute to you making money as a trader? Like what are some of the things which you've actually tried to do really well? Like is there a short list of things which you've really tried to focus on over the past, you know, eight months, 12 months sort of thing? Um, yeah, I would say – and I have it, I have a whiteboard in my office and I have something written down. The three, the three things that I'm really, really work, working on to, to get better, um, better preparation. Uh, you hear it a lot. I mean, there's preparation in the market, before the market, during the market, after the market close, just getting, getting better at, uh, and something I, I, I do much better now than I have in the past, but having a, a system in the morning that you follow every single day, um, Sometimes when I have three or four really good days, I think I can cut a corner and I don't have to do something in the morning and then the market opens and I, I miss out. And it's, it's, a, it's definitely something that I've improved on, but I'm still working on improving. And then having a clear criteria to hold longer. I'm, I, I'm in this, I get in this such the short term scalper cash flow mentality that I let a lot of really big trades go. Um, and I have to watch them from the sidelines. And that's just, that's just one of my, one of my big flaws. Uh, and then I'm also working on getting uh, bigger size onto trades, but also when you do that, you you have you can't just get bigger; you have to get better. Um, you have to be able to read the order book, know kind of liquidity and 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 all those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the the stocks that you're playing, right? That's even more important. Yeah, totally. And and I remember somebody told me that last year, as I saw my equity curve going up, they were said, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but you're going to get to some point where 
the game's going to completely change because you have to almost think one step ahead. And I was like, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. And then, you know, then you get there and you go, yeah, this is what he was talking about. <laughs> that you really have to be careful because, you know, you can't just because you have more money in your account doesn't mean that stocks care that you can take all the, the shares. And if you don't have somebody there on the other side to, to be there, you can uh, you can get into some serious trouble. Yeah. I know a lot of people are probably listening to this right now and they're saying that that's a good problem to have, though. <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, it, it, it's something that's going to have to continue to get harder and harder. But it's even harder when you're when you're starting, you have a small account. Um, you're, you are much more nimble, but there are times that you, you think you can get aggressive or, or not. And you, you don't even realize that there's that issue there, that there, there's not always a bid behind you. And you go, oh, how come I can't get out of the stock? That's happened to me before. How come I can't sell it? Well, there's no one there to buy it from you. <laughs> so one of the things you mentioned just before was, uh, having like good preparation before, during, after the market. Um, and you said, you know, when you have a few really good days, sometimes you feel as though you can cut corners a little bit and sometimes become a little bit complacent, but you know, you said it's important to follow some sort of routine. Would you mind sharing maybe your pre-market routine? I am. So, so for my time here, uh, I'm central zone. The market opens at eight 30 in the morning. Some guys wake up really, really early and they trade in the pre-market. Um, but see, I don't at all. So I, I usually wake up and I, I'm start to kind of under, take a look at markets about an hour and a half before they open. First thing I do, I know most blogs and things like that say, don't check your phone first thing and you wake up in the morning. But that's the first thing I do. Check Twitter, check the news. Um, I, the night before, I have a watch list ready of the stocks that I'm, that I'm interested in. And I like to kind of keep updated on the news. So if we're looking at you know, the end of the, the, the good month last year in December, I had my, my, my names of stocks that I was watching that I was familiar with. Which, which names are now saying they're involved in blockchain that have nothing to do with it. You, you really want to know those things and you want to know them before the market opens and you kind of want to be familiar. Um, so I have my watch list and I have on my screen about 12 charts that I'm watching. And uh, one of the things that I've really worked on is, is kind of having an organization because that's a lot of data to, to watch. So when I come to the market, I want to know where my charts are, which ones are have to be watched right out of the open to get trades for which ones need to set up a little bit longer and having a plan for each of those, but also being familiar with what their daily charts look like, where the closest support and resistance. That's a lot to take in. Um, and that's something that I'm still getting better at, but it's, it's coming, having a plan. And then at the same time, being really flexible, knowing that as soon as the bell rings, your plan can go upside down. One PR comes out and it changes everything. If, um, like I know they were saying one of the, I think it was like South Korea was was going uh, kind of try to make trading cryptos harder, and it just changed the entire game that day. So no matter how much homework I did, no matter how prepared I was, what I had written down on my notepad, it, it, it all it all doesn't matter at that point. You have to be flexible, but still be prepared. And I think if you're prepared, you can be flexible. That particular example, where are you getting most of your news? Like this um, uh, South Korea announcement about trying to make uh, trading cryptos harder for uh, people who live there. How did you receive that information? Like where do you get most of your information during the trading day? Twitter is a beautiful place. There's a lot of uh, great information on there. You, it's one of the nice things that you can curate what you do and don't see because there's a lot of garbage. There's a lot of good stuff. So um, following the right people on Twitter. I also have uh, two news feeds that I pay for. Um, they have the actual news that scrolls and they also both have squawk boxes, which is really nice. So they read out the news because a lot of times when there's a lot going on in the mornings, the, there's all these trades happening and, and, you're, and you're tracking a lot. It helps to have the news read out to you. So if something you're trading, all of a sudden they say, oh, they're just filed for, you know, either something positive or negative. You can right then and there make a decision um, versus missing something because you don't have eyeballs on it. Okay. So what are those two services that you pay for? Uh, one of them is called Trade Exchange and the, ones, the other one's Benzinga Pro. Okay, so Benzinga Pro is the Squawk. Yes, and so is Trade Exchange. They both have Squawk services and news services, and they do cost money. But basically, I, I take a look at how much it costs and how much it help typically makes me. And those services typically make me a lot more money than they cost. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you've got to you got to spend money to make money. Right. Okay, and those are those are purely sort of equity based um, services. 
Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure I know there's certain ones for, you know, for people that'll read more Forex news and different kinds of services, but these ones are pretty much geared towards what I trade. Um, they, they also talk about stocks that I don't trade Apple, Amazon, et cetera, but they also have breaking news on a lot of small cap stocks, which if you can hear it, uh, and, and hear it first, that's a huge edge in the market. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Now going to the other end of the day after the market closes, I remember last time we spoke, we spent quite a bit of time actually talking about how you're journaling, how you're reviewing your performance each day, each week, etc. Um, is that something you're still really big on or have you dialed it back a little bit? I'm still very pro journaling and tracking all of your trades, but I'm not currently tracking like I used to, to be honest. Um, I think it's a great thing for me. It was all about finding those prop where, where my high probability, high probability trades were, um, where I was losing money, where I was making the most money. I took that data and essentially now I'm not journaling. I, I'm still journaling kind of notes on the trading day, but not tracking every single one of my trades because it became such a habit that it was almost like I could do it on my own. Um, and I would still go back to it at some point. Let's say my strategy just completely stopped working. I couldn't make money. I couldn't figure everything out. I would dust that thing off in a heartbeat and get back to work. But um, it really got me to where I was comfortable doing it on my own in my head. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And as you've grown your account over the past uh, eight months, 12 months, etc., has that taken some psychological adjustment? Because I presume that your P&L swings during the day are a lot bigger. You know, there might've been a few hundred dollars uh, at the beginning of uh, 2017. Nowadays, there might be a few thousand dollars each way. Has that required some psychological adjustment to get used to that sort of thing because you know it's not a small amount of money you're throwing around. Yes, it really has because I consider myself a somewhat simple person outside of the markets. Um, I'm not a, a big spender, um, so so having trades you know that are both positive trades are great, but it's those big losses that still hurt. I mean, and and what used to be big back in 2017 is much bigger now number wise but it's around the same percent wise. Um, but it's still hard to swallow whenever you see, you know, you're down 2000 or $3,000 on a trade. It's still, still a tough pill to swallow knowing that what, what could you do with that? Um, and then on the same side, on the flip side, sometimes, and this is something that I have to work on is that when I have a couple really good trades and I put up a big, a big P and L in the day, I have to remember that there's still only maybe one or two days in a month that really make your month good. And I can't just get up and celebrate and call it a day or, just get excited and start slipping up. Um, really have to to be to be careful on both sides. Um, but as far as uh, psych psychologically, I'm, I'm I know this was one of the questions that was asked on Twitter a lot. Like, how much of your account do you risk per trade? And um, just because my account's bigger, I still don't ever really go all in or, or put my entire account in there. Um, and but I have been working on slowly being more comfortable putting more size on. Um, but it's, it's I'm I'm a much more slow, slowly raising that than just saying okay I'm gonna double my size for the next day. Okay, so if we were to look at it from like a percentage point of view, you're still risking roughly um, about the same percentage of your account as you were when it was smaller. I am, and and one of the things that I, I might do differently than most most traders, and it, maybe call it good or bad, is I I, I truly don't say. Um, I'm going to risk 2% on this trade or 3%. I typically, 
have a setup that I'm looking for. And I know, I don't know if it's just become natural, the size that I take. Um, but, but if a trade's not working, I'm not going to let it get to that, that max, let's say two or 3% loss or whatnot. I, I really just let the, the trade work as it's supposed to. Um, and I have gotten comfortable with it. So if I, if I'm trying to trade a breakout, I don't set a wider stop than I need to. Sometimes my stops are really, really tight and I don't really technically risk a lot other than the fact that there's liquidity issues and slippage and, and, and things can change. But, um, I, I, my losses have, my potential losses are larger, but on a percentage basis, they may even be getting tighter because, because I'm actually improving my entries and my exits, if that makes sense. No, so. it, it does. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Now you said a little bit earlier about how it hasn't really become an issue too much for you now, but it's something that you've been given a little bit of consideration to is that, you know, some of these more low float stocks, when you're trading larger size, you can uh, have liquidity issues um, and some significant slippage. Have you been thinking much about uh, stepping over to more of the larger cap stocks? Is that something which interests you that you think you may um, work your way up to at some point? It is. I, I've kind of dipped my toe in a couple times trying to see if what, how, how I kind of read the small cap markets translates exactly over to the larger cap markets. And it, and it doesn't exactly because the percent moves are much smaller, but the dollar numbers are much bigger. And, um, it's similar, but you know, I keep telling myself that I'm going to have to make that jump at some point. There's going to be a certain period where I, I just keep getting too much slippage or I, or I can't, I can't grow the way I want to grow, but I haven't gotten there yet. And I try to kind of keep the eye, my, my eye on the prize right now or, or on the ball, which is just the next day. Um, and I actually, you know, uh, had a conversation with one of the uh, traders you had on here, uh, Bryce Edwards. I, I reached out to him because I, I was kind of preparing myself for that issue, I guess, before it got there. And I was looking at either starting to try position trading or swing trading or expanding my book. And he just hit me with some truth that was, you know, just keep getting bigger at what you do well and, and just keep pressing and getting better and getting better at what you do. And, and it's, it's, I've done it so far and it's worked and I haven't had to change. Um, and I, I appreciate those comments. Um, but I, I haven't, I basically, I know it's going to happen at some point, but I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah. I remember last time when we spoke, you said that you were interested in, you know, lots of other strategies as well, uh, as you develop as a trader, like you were, you were saying that, you know, it'd be good to eventually be able to trade like some trend following strategies and some more like longer term position trades and that sort of thing. Um, that's not really something you've, you've gotten into yet. I've tried, um, I've tried paper trading just the good old fashioned way on a literal piece of paper writing. Okay. Here's where I would take a swing position. Let's hold it overnight and see what happens. And my accuracy is just, it's not, it's not very high there. It's not, I'm not comfortable with it. I don't have confidence in it yet. Um, Maybe one day I will. Maybe one day I'll put my head down and really try to work on it and 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 hammer that in because I do I do think that's probably the next step. Maybe again I don't I don't know. I'm just speculating, but um, that may be the direction I have to go at some point. Um, but I'm I'm having a lot of fun where I am right now. Um, I'm, I'm pretty low stress. So honestly, I'm I'm almost thinking that at some point, if I did have a liquidity issue, heck. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty well for myself. So maybe I can just continue to, I wouldn't say plateau, but just get a little bit better on what I do. No, I think, I think that's really important. And that's, you know, I, I think because you, a lot of the reason why you've done so well is because of that, because you've, you know, you found something which you're good at and you're just focused on it. Right. Um, right. You know, right. like striking while the iron's hot, as they say. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and I get this question a lot from people They say, Oh, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're a long buys trader in a really big bull market. Well, how do you know, you know, how do you know you're still going to be successful in a year or two or three? And, and the answer is I don't, <laughs> um, things completely change upside down and, and, and a flash. And all I know is, is kind of what got me here. Uh, and going back to like the, the journaling and, and tracking trades. And I have to only assume that if everything that I know just stopped working, but the market still traded, that I could readjust and I could find something that worked and I'd have to start backwards and I'd have to set smaller goals and I'd have to work my way back up and be patient and be ready to fall and, and stumble. But 
Um, as of right now, I, I'm just trying to, to get better at, at the few things that I'm good at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have complete confidence that you would be fine. I mean, you've got to trade the market that we're in. You know, last time we spoke, you were, that was one of the interesting things that we spoke about actually, is about how you do play the long side. You know, you're trading these uh, these low float stocks and most of the guests who I've had on in the past who trade uh, this market are very short biased, where you predominantly trade the long side. Um, is that still the case or have you started to take more short trades or is it something which is still not really of interest to you? I'm slowly creeping over to the dark side. Um, <laughs> I would say last time we talked, uh, I was about a 98% of the time long trader with just every once in a while I would short. Now I'm still, I would say 85% long side and I'm dipping my toe trying to, I'm, I would say a 20th of the size I trade on the long side, trying to get comfortable. And what I was doing before was I was trying to short things that I wasn't really familiar with. I don't, I don't really know why, but if I, just like I'm kind of focusing on and on the, the Bitcoin sector at the end of last year on the long side, I was also aware of how they moved up and down. So I was trying to kind of flip, flip the script a little bit and work a little bit on the short side, but it wasn't a huge profit bucket for me. I wasn't making a ton on it, but um, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be increasing it a little bit. Okay. So you'd you'd say that still about ninety eight percent of your trades are long, uh, about eighty five percent. I'm oh. getting a little bit a little bit more about fifteen percent on the short side now. I would say. Okay, and as you've been you're kind of less experienced playing the short side, um, how have you been treating that? Like, have you been taking much smaller size on those trades? Yes, much smaller size. My emotions, um, I don't really have them in check because I just have this. I don't know if you want to say natural. Ten, uh, fear, I guess, of just getting caught in something outrageous, which happens every once in a while. Um, so I take much smaller size. I give myself right now, I give myself one bullet in the chamber. So I'm not going to add, add, <laughs> add and, and get myself into something bad. I basically say I've got one shot to pick a good spot and you got to stick with it. Um, set your stop. And it's, it's a work in progress to say the least. Um, it, it's profitable overall for me, but it's, um, it's nothing big. And, the thing I also don't want it to be is a distraction on my long side. So I kind of, um, it's, I only kind of shift towards that when I really feel there's just not much on the long side. Mm, okay. Now, Alex, when you posted on Twitter, um, yesterday, I think it was, um, that you were going to be coming on and did anyone have any questions? One of the questions which kept popping up over and over again was how are you scanning and identifying these stocks which may offer trading opportunities. So obviously, you know, when you hear about these blockchain catalysts which are coming into play, it's kind of hard to miss that sort of thing or to, to not know about it, right? But when there's not a catalyst in play or a catalyst which to the same magnitude, how are you finding stocks to trade on just a regular sort of day? Yeah, so it's good you differentiated that because scanning when there is a catalyst is almost just being at the market, um, seeing what's moving, uh, being familiar, and having that list of the top ten names that have the most volume. But you know, when the market does slow down, and it will slow down, and it goes in phases, and um, let's say like August of last year, I remember everybody was just saying, "Oh my gosh, there's nothing to do. Is the market done?" And it just you know, it slows down. So. At that point, you you do have to do some scanning. Um, and so what I do, and I don't know how the different sites work for different countries and different exchanges, but we have a site, Finviz, FineViz. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's a free site. And it allows you to uh, search every single stock. Um, and you can kind of break it down into really complex search terms for people who like fundamental analysis. Um, you know, how much do they earn? What's their debt ratios, et cetera, et cetera. But then it also has technical side. And so I keep my scanning pretty simple. I like to look for stocks under $10 because that's where I, at the time, and I still do now have uh, my, my expertise, I guess you could say. Um, and then I, the one thing that I know people talk about over and over again is how, vol how, how important volume is to trading. Uh, and it took me a, a long time to realize why, but I scan for stocks under $10 
and stocks that are trading at at least two and a half times their daily average. And, and the reason is, is you can scan for amazing charts all day long and you can find a great chart. And this is what I did a lot. And when I started was I find a great chart, 10 great charts, and I trade the wrong three ones, I guess you could say nobody, no, nothing. It didn't go anywhere, but it was a great chart. But that doesn't matter because other people weren't watching it. There wasn't other people that wanted to get involved. There wasn't other people sitting with their fingers on the trigger waiting for that entry that, that, that wherever they're looking for. So when you scan for, for charts, it's really important to, to look for volume and look for above average volume because that means people are getting interested or, or it's people are already interested. And that's something you want to watch. Um, and it's, and it's free. And so it usually brings up a list of, let's say, I don't know, 20 or 30 stocks that are trading above average volume of under 10, then you can start breaking down how do their charts look? Uh, what are their catalysts? What sectors are they in? And then let's say there's 10 that you find that have good chart setups. I would move those over to my watch list and I would arrange them based on, you know, the ABC setups where, you know, the A would be, you know, it's a great chart. It's in a great sector. It's got a low float. It's got a high short percentage. It's got, you know, all these little things that you want to look at, whatever, whatever you care about. Um, and, and you kind of arrange those. And that's where you, that's how I set my priority. Uh, so when the day starts, I know that the top five, and I know the bottom five and those bottom five sometimes are the biggest winners. You got to keep your eye on them. Um, but, but that's how, that's how I do my scanning. And it, it's really nothing, nothing crazy. <laughs> so once you filter it down, you end up with about 10 names to watch that day? Well, I guess if it's if it's a slow period, sometimes there's only three, four, or five. And that's sometimes a good thing because that means there's a higher percent chance that everyone's going to get fixated on one or two of the names that you're watching. So I would, say, I would say usually you can find, even in really crappy markets, you can find three names that are trading above average volume for some reason. I think it's really cool that you still use Finviz. Even at this point, you're using like a free tool. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could probably pay for something a little bit better, but I mean, I, I, all you have to do is like watch a commercial every once in a while, and then you can just X out. And so, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a very comprehensive scanner. I mean, I occasionally yeah. get emails people asking, and that's usually the one I suggest. Yeah, and you can set it up really detailed, and I have some detailed scans, and I found that simple simple works. Yeah, and you said daily average volume. Um, uh, you, you like to see stocks which are two and a half times the daily average volume. Uh, that's the over, average over what period? Like the last 10 days or? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I want to say it's 20, but um, I'd be I'd be lying. Um, I think it's just whatever standard in there, to be honest. I haven't really messed with that. Um, but then sometimes if that scan doesn't show anything, if the market's like really dead, sometimes you kind of have to take it down a notch. But when, when everything's going... Some, and your list is too long, you just kind of increase that. And that's just showing you where are the eyeballs, basically. Where is everyone else looking? And to what extent do you care about the the broader, higher time frame trend? Or are you only focused on intraday price action? I always start with a daily chart. So um, when I'm scanning, that's, that's where I look. Uh, I probably could zoom, zoom in more like on, on a one hour because I am such a short time frame. I'm, I'm basically trading uh, an intraday breakouts and I don't look back, let's say a year and really care about like what the high levels of resistance and support is. I'll look back maybe 20 days and see what the support and resistance there is because that's where the people that I'm <clears throat> typically doing business with and transacting, that's where everyone's focused on. So I, I typically start with the, the, the one day chart. And then now I've been really, really focusing a lot more on the one hour chart. Uh, because it's even more zoned in to, to where I'm con where I'm concerned with support and resistance is. Uh, and then I focus intraday on the three minute chart. Okay. So you're not trading off a one hour chart, are you? Right. No. So that's kind of where, when I talk about, I'm trying to get better at having criteria for longer term trades. I like to know that the daily chart and the one hour chart is lined up in some sort of way. Uh, and, and that would allow me to hold longer, but I'm not trading off of those charts. I'm my, I guess you call it quote unquote, my, in, my entry signals are on the three minute chart. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Alex, would you mind talking about one of the setups, which has been working best for you as of late, maybe one of these intraday breakout trades? Yeah. So again, even going back to the scan being simple, um, I've really kind of learned that simplicity and what you're looking for intraday, 
Um, I used to be really rigid looking for uh, drawing trend lines and being really rigid of like, it's got to touch heat. It's got to touch the numbers got to exactly touch that line. If I'm going to buy either a dip or a breakout. Um, but what I've kind of learned is, is, is watching intraday is, uh, flag patterns or pennant patterns, which are just simple, like a, like a breakout and then a consolidation. And then that's kind of where I zone in after something breaks out. I'm never the first one in, into a breakout. I've, I don't think that probably happens like once or twice a year and it's completely lucky. Um, I typically wait for a, a chart to break out. Let's so let's say let's just keep referring to Bitcoin because it's fresh in everybody's minds right now. Uh, a chart makes a big move and it kind of hits a hits a high point, it pulls back. And that's where I get interested because that kind of gives me an area where I can where I can watch and say that's where people are either considering it to be the high of the day at that point, and there's maybe shorts that are using that as a kind of a buffer and then looking for certain patterns and the, and the, and the, the order book, you know, there's a big bidder step in You can, you can overcomplicate it definitely, but essentially looking for uh, a breakout consolidation pattern and then that next push. Um, but there, but it can get very detailed and, and, and the, and the fine details that you're looking for within those patterns. Yeah. How about uh, indicators? Are you using any indicators? I think uh, VWAP may be one that you use. Yes. That's the only one that I use on every single chart. Every single, well, I guess on the daily, it doesn't really look that good. But uh, every single intraday chart, I have VWAP on. It's a simple guide that I use. I don't overanalyze it. I know there's there's a lot to it technically, and a lot of people have written code for it. But I just kind of use it as a really quick gauge. If I'm going to pull up a chart that I'm not familiar with, that I'm not watching, where is it in relation to its VWAP? If it's over, theoretically, it means that that bulls are in control. And if it's under, it means that bears are in control. But it's not always the case. But it, it's just it gives you a quick idea to say, okay, the average person's holding this in their green or their, you know, it, it gives you a quick basis. And then I also use on my daily charts uh, and hourly charts, um, the five, the 50 and 200 day moving average, not anything for any crazy reason other than a lot. Of, I know a lot of people have it on their charts. Uh, and that's kind of really what tools are, right? I mean, they're, they're just the fact that a lot of people are watching them. So they act around those tools for specific reasons. So I, a lot of times use them as targets. So if I'm underneath on the daily chart, a 200 day moving average, but it's pretty close and we're getting to a, close to a breakout underneath that, then that's going to kind of be a target that I'm going to be shooting for to try to start taking some, some shares off or looking for a breakout through that. And the same time on a daily chart, if it's pulling back, I'm not a big dip buyer anymore. I've learned my lesson. I'm not really good at that. But if it starts pulling back into, let's say, the 200 or 50 moving average on a daily chart, then I start looking for intraday break off, breakouts off of those levels. So okay. that's all I use. Yeah. And I'll just point out that I think you wrote an article about or you, you posted something on your blog about how you actually use uh, VWAP. So if anyone's interested in a a slightly more detailed explanation, uh, maybe check that out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Now, one of the things which I think you're really good at is actually trade management. So once you get set in a trade, can you talk to us about some of the things which go through your mind as in like how do you manage this position from that point? Again, it goes back to what you can, what some might consider a strength, others might consider a weakness. So for me, I'm really consistent. Um, I don't take a lot of big losses. Um, so when I enter a position, because the primarily what I trade is breakout trades, but it doesn't always mean that I'm trying to like a 52 week high or something like that. It's patterns within a day. Um, if I'm looking for a breakout and I have learned last time we spoke, I was really big into scaling into trades, um, and scaling out of trades. What I've learned over this last six months is that I'm much better just going full size, <clears throat> one bullet into my trades. Um, so when that happens, as soon as I enter a position, I know exactly where I want the breakout to happen. If it doesn't work, I know exactly where hopefully somebody in the order books out there that I can, that I can get rid of my shares to. Um, so as soon as I put on a trade and I get a breakout, I'm instantly selling some shares. And that may hurt me at some times because this, it could go up another 50% and I sold it for two or 3% or partial. And then I'm scaling out on the way up. Um, but, but that's a big part of my trade management is, is taking some risk off right away. 
um, reducing those emotions, letting me have a clear head. Um, once I'm in that trade, if I get the breakout, I'm very aware that there's false breakouts. And as soon as you get that, everyone's loaded on one side and they, they break down. So literally, as soon as I put on a trade, I have my first order ready to, to execute on a sell. Um, and most of the time, luckily, I can, I can get the first scale as a profit. And then I am prepared right then and there to completely sell my position, um, even at a tiny loss or at a slight profit, because I know uh, breakouts fail. Um, and I'm, I'm just really trying to, to capture something on every trade. Um, and then once that position goes, the thing I've been really working on, on, on managing trades is getting a bigger position size and trying to hold a little piece a little bit longer. So if my target, you know, going back to what we said before is the 200 day moving average, but I'm a substantial amount away, I'll take some just right off the bat off that breakout. And then I'll slowly scale out of my position to where typically I'm at like a fifth of my size when I hit my final target. Um, I wish I could just man up and, and, and go for more and go for a fuller, uh, bigger position towards those targets. But that's, that's kind of how I manage trades is I basically put on my max risk right away and I start taking that risk off as soon as I can. So let's say if you are sort of trading towards a point we think is a good point to get out, like have your entire trade off the book, how willing are you to change your mind as things play out like as are you kind of reading price action as the trade is in motion and you know if it looks like it might be turning around a little bit like how willing are you to kind of give it room to breathe and move around or are you just cutting the trade most of the time i'm cutting the trade um i i just and that's my risk diversion right there and that's something that i've continue to work on is knowing when I should let it wiggle more and when I should give it a, a longer time to run for a target. But typically, let's say a lot of it has to do with reading the chart and the order book and flow. And let's say it's just, it's, there's just so much buying going on at a certain level, but the price isn't moving. It's just a sign for me to say, look, it, they may bust through this wall. They may keep pushing it and it could go higher, but I've just got to protect myself. I've always got to just look out for protecting myself. And I usually just start scaling out. And I don't, I don't typically, if it doesn't go right where I want to go right away, I don't just typically slam out of my whole position, but I start lowering risk. And when I don't do that and I try to go for more and it pulls back, I just, I just get that kind of ticked off feelings. I get, I know I, like you said earlier, I'd rather be out of it. I'd rather wish I was being in a trade than wish I wasn't in a trade. So I just start scaling out and, doesn't always work in my benefit, but that's kind of keeps me consistent. Cool, man. Well, let me ask you, what's on the cards for the next 12 months? Like, what are your big kind of goals for 2018? Where do you want to take this? Continue to scale um, and, and, and perfect little things here and there. So um, I've noticed that the biggest changes are, are, are really just making a few small changes have a huge impact on the P&L uh, in the grand scheme of things trying to continue to get uh, into larger positions. And I would love to find uh, different areas to trade, different, I guess, larger markets or more liquid markets. Um, but I, I'm, I'm still keeping my eye on the prize, coming up, waking up every day and looking at uh, just what I did the day before, doing it all over again, just a little bit better, um, trying to get more comfortable with bigger swings and those profit and losses and, and, and being... Um, not getting overexcited or any, on any, you know, either direction. Yeah. I mean, I guess just, just trying to get a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Eye on the prize. I like that. That's very yeah. good. Do you have one tidbit, one piece of wisdom, just a lesson you'd like to pass on or share to uh, younger traders coming up? Well, I did have one of the questions that I, that I really like, um, well, I guess I kind of address both of them, but I'll, but I'll, but I'll readdress them because I got a question like, what are some of the habits of a really profitable trader or a consistently profitable trader? Um, and, and I just really did want to harp on the self-discipline and the flexibility part, because I know that was, that was a huge turning point for me is whenever I, I you're going to slip up, you're going to make really bad trades. Um, but the self-discipline is so important to, to, to keep yourself on the right track, um, to, to know, at least if you're doing something wrong, at least know that you're doing it wrong and, and, and make, try to make the right adjustments and being flexible. 
Um, I think a lot of people get into to, to trading and they, they want something. They either want to make really big gains or they want to be a hotshot, um, whatever options trader or whatever. But, but if, but if you realize pretty quickly, it just doesn't fit you. You got, you got to be flexible. Um, I think that's what a problem a lot of uh, new traders have is, is they, they kind of, uh, see one mold. It doesn't work and either they give up or they lose a lot. Um, so I wish, I wish people would, uh, would really, really hammer down on that self-discipline because I get a lot of the same questions all the time of people messing up over and over and over and over and over again about the same things. But at some point you gotta, you gotta make, you gotta make some big, big changes there. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, I'm glad, um, you addressed that. So yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap things up there. I, I do want to say it's been really good catching up again. Um, it's been really cool to see your progress. I'm really proud of you, man. And I wish you all the best moving forward, uh, still. So, um, where can listeners go to find out more about you? I know you've got a blog that you've, you've put together and you've also, you're also on Twitter. Um, do you want to share those couple things? Yeah. So, uh, my Twitter's at tagger trades, T A G R trades. Don't keep up with it as much as I used to. Um, maybe I'll come to and get back into it, but recently had a, about to have a, almost a four month old daughter now. So my life has been strictly uh, trading and then, and then that, uh, but then I also have the, the blog, geez, I haven't even gone in a long time. What is taggertrades.com. Um, there's some interesting stuff in the past, but I'll try to keep a little bit more updated for everyone in 2018. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a busy man. You've got to, you've got to focus on what's most important. So yep. yeah, keep doing you, man. Um, Thanks as always, Aaron. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much for sharing. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. See you, man. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. Oh,